In Romans chapter number 15, verse number 5, very simple words. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, and that's plural, you all to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I began a new series that Pastor Dustin and I will facilitate over the next several weeks. And the message series title is called Unified, and with a slightly different way of spelling unified, it's Y-O Unified. It means that as we are moving forward into God's plans for Newbridge Church and our community across the world in global missions and in specifics in your life and the lives of those that aren't yet here, we will be a unified assembly. And that's not the other person's job to be unified. It is each of us. So that's why we put the you in there. Today, I'm going to open up in something that I believe is for all of us. And especially if you're visiting here today, you're a guest or you're watching online and considering coming, I want you to know that this is going to be a place of warmth and welcome. That is the message today. It is a place of warmth and welcome. I'm going to let you be seated this morning. heard a story about a man that was walking, as he usually did in the morning, on a California beach, and as usual, he was deep in thought, and yet on this particular day, he stumbled upon an ancient lamp that was buried halfway in the sand and sticking halfway out, and so he reached down, and he picked it up, and he was dusting layers and layers of sand off of it when he was suddenly surprised that as he was rubbing the lamp, a genie came out. As the genie floated there, as we all know genies do, floated there in the air, he was delighted in being released from the lamp, and he was ecstatic, and he said to the man, for you setting me free from 1,500 years of being imprisoned in this lamp, I will grant you one wish, ask me anything that you desire. So this man, this Californian, who loved the water, and he loved the sand, and he said, I want you to build me a bridge from here all the way to Hawaii so I can drive there whenever I want. Now the genie, with quite a disapproving look, said to the man, in your time of life, with all the hunger and the strife and the war in this world, I find that your request, sir, is very materialistic. Also, I want you to think of something. Consider the logistics of what you've asked me to do in building such a bridge from California all the way to Hawaii. Think about the supports that would be required to reach the very bottom of the Pacific Ocean all the way from here to there, the co concrete and the steel that it's going to require, the amount of intense labor that it would require as I bring everything together. And the genie said, surely I can do it, but it is very difficult for me to justify your desire for such a selfish thing when all around you there are greater things in this world that you might have asked of me. So take a little more time and think of another wish, a wish that is more fitting for a genie like me to answer. So the man was deeply humbled because of the genie's correction, so he thought about it for a few minutes and finally said, okay, genie, I wish that I could understand women. I want to know how they feel inside and what they're thinking when they give me the silent treatment, why they cry and then they say they feel better after doing so, and what they mean when I ask them what's wrong and they say nothing's wrong. 
I want to know why women believe that a hint to a man should yield perfect clarity in that man. I wish to know these things. And oh, by the way, tell me, Jeannie, how can I make a woman truly happy? The genie looked at him and he said, do you want two lanes or four lanes in that bridge? (laughs) Some things are hard to understand. And ladies, it's only because you're beautifully put together that men sometimes say, I just don't get it. Some things are hard to understand. What I'm going to share with you today, I don't think it's hard to understand at all. But I do think it's hard to do. It's easy to understand, but it's hard to do, and it deals with our relationships with each other and with those that do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as pertains to a local assembly, and in particular, the assembly called New Bridge Church. And so from the book of Romans in chapter number 15, I want to give you some thoughts this morning. Please understand the context of the verses that I read from Romans 15. The context is that Paul has spent all of chapter number 14 playing the holy referee. That's part of a pastor's job. When you get a group of people together who are unique and different, they are diverse, they have different expectations, different things to offer, different understandings of spiritual nuances, a lot of the times the spiritual leader has to referee between groups. That's just what a pastor signs up to do and other leaders in the church. It's part of our calling. But in chapter number 14, Paul spent the entire chapter pointing out to them how that God was glorified in their diversity, but they were using it in a a way of competing with each other instead of complimenting each other. They were assuming that everybody that was going to be spiritual need to see things the way they saw things. And so you had two sides of the aisle pointing the finger at each other, and Paul was kind of importing the great wise words of Rodney King who said, can't we all just get along? And the answer is, not if we don't work on it. And so when we're looking in the church, the modern church, the historical church, I want you to know something. There's always been this massive call for us to be a place of warmth and welcome. And that's not just sentimentally speaking. That's talking about effort, energy, commitment, and endurance in being a people group that reveals the unity of Jesus Christ as we love and live with one another. And so let's begin here in verse number 5. And you say to yourself, Jeff, I just don't know if I'm wired to really welcome and accept people that are so different than me. Well, I'm going to tell you there's good news because you're not supposed to do it in the energy of your own flesh. God wants to help you. And so this is where the empowerment of accepting others comes from in verse number five. Look at the origin of this power to be a person, a Christian, who is welcoming and warm. Paul opens up and he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, and he's about to say, grant you to live in harmony with one another. Paul understands, as he was refereeing in chapter number 14, he understands as he's telling people that are very different to work together in unity, he understands and anticipates that some people are going to say, I just don't know if I can do that. Uh, He's Jewish. I'm a Gentile. Uh, They eat all sorts of things. I only eat kosher things. They'll drink wine. I don't drink wine. They'll eat stuff at the temple that was sacrificed in pagan temples. I will never do that. And it was causing tension in the church because everybody thought their way was either the best way or the only way. And so Paul has now challenged them to love each other, serve each other, not cast stumbling blocks in front of each other, and to consider the other person as being more important than oneself. And so the the anticipation is people are going to say, I don't think I can do that. So Paul, he kind of puts a caveat out there. He says, let me pray for you and may God who endures and may God who encourages grant you the ability to do this. 
See, my friends, we are leaving the days in our pilgrimage, our journeys with Jesus, where we are so addicted to saying, I just can't do that. Uh, recently, it was this year, or late last year, I was sitting with a friend. And we were talking about some things that would need to happen as two churches come together to become one New Bridge church. And this brother loves Jesus, been serving the Lord for decades. And we sat together, and, and he looked me in the eye, and this is a stout servant of God, and he says, that is going to be hard. And immediately I heard the Lord say, tell him that hard is not bad. When we hear hard, we feel like something bad. In other words, if it's going to test us, stretch us, require something of us, that's hard. And in our uh, kind of comfort-driven uh, uh, culture, we think hard is always bad. No, sometimes hard is the best thing. Tell the Olympic athlete that uh, hard is bad and they'll never train. Tell the, the student trying to get into college that studying is hard, therefore bad, and she'll never study. Tell the husband and wife who've hit a rocky place that getting along is hard and, and therefore bad, and then they'll never try. But hard sometimes is the best thing. And so Paul said, you have an ally, you have an advocate, God who endures you. By the way, that's the motivation. Uh, how many of you know that God's had to put up with you a little bit, right? And how many of you know that as he puts up with you, he also encourages you and moves you? It's not always a rebuke. And so Paul invokes the name of God, and he says he's a God of encouragement, and he's a God of endurance. Well, look, look at the intentionality of this power. This is where maybe we can realize that this isn't a small thing in the body of Christ. This is a big thing. We're talking about relationships. He says, I want God to grant you to live in such harmony with one another. This is the intentionality of this power. That we are to be intentional in our relationships with one another. This is far different from avoiding those who are different than you. This is the opposite of that. This means that we pursue them and we learn how to harmonize our lives with them. Um, I am not a musical guy. I, I'm, I'm grateful that I sit on the front row and there are very few people uh, that have to hear me sing. I'm not the best singer and I don't know all the technical stuff, but I do know about harmony and I know when I hear it and they're singing different parts, but it comes together in a singular beautiful sound when, when they're harmonizing on key. And so what Paul is saying here is, I want you, and it's really a Greek word where we see live in harmony. It's a Greek word that indicates, I want you to harmonize your thinking. I want you to harmonize your approach with the people around you. I want you to learn to play different parts with your life, but to bring them together in such a way that your part complements her part, her part complements his part, and together there is a harmonious way of thinking, and then therefore an outflow of that thinking is how we live together. And it's very intentional. Friends, I want to tell you something. The, the, I think in, in, in churches sometimes, we believe it's spiritual just to ignore or avoid those that are different. And what happens when that takes place in a church? You get little pockets and little cliques of certain types of people, and that's not the Lord's desire. The Lord's desire is not for us to be in a building together, yet segregated in our hearts and minds. He wants us to be unified and in harmony with one another. I'm going to tell you, it takes relationship building. It takes welcoming. It takes uh, dropping your guard and embracing humility to recognize somebody that's different than you actually has something to offer you rather than assuming they need, they, uh, they need what you have. And so the intentionality of it is ongoing. Now look at the context of this power, and then we're going to move on. We're talking about the empowerment of accepting others, and I'm going to stress to you in this message that I'm talking about all others, and I, I'll support that here shortly. The context for this power is in accord with Christ Jesus. So the whole verse says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. So... The indication or the application is that as Christians, we receive our cues from Jesus Christ. 
That means I want to watch what Jesus does in the pages of the gospel. I want to see who did he shun, who did he reject, who did he run off, who did he say no to, who did he disparage, who did he build up walls to. And when you make a careful study of Scripture, you're going to realize that the tenor of the life of the Son of Man, who is Jesus Christ our Lord, he was constantly pursuing people. And by the way, all of them were far different than him. He's the immaculate, perfect Son of God. He's the water walker. He's the demon caster outer, if if I can use that verbiage. He's the one that is the resurrection and the life. He is the sinless, spotless, perfect son of God. And so everywhere he went, people fell beneath his standard, and yet he never built walls. He was constantly building new bridges to them. And so I want to be like that, but it takes intentionality. So the context is, is, as Christ has been to me, not only as a lost man pursuing me, but as a saved man continuing to pursue me, then, then I want to say this. I want to say, I want to be like him in my relationships with you. But I'm never going to do that unless I make that kind of commitment and unless I'm constantly relying on the empowerment of God. Because how many of you know that you got some people in your life that rub you the wrong way? Oh, no? Nobody? See, every now and then I'm going to get you to participate with me. You say, you're setting us up for a trick question. Exhale, unclench. I promise you I'm just interacting with you a little bit. I'm just saying you've got some people in your life that rub you the wrong way, and your impulse is going to be to keep your distance. And that impulse doesn't come from Jesus. Why? Because that's not warmth spiritually, relationally, and it's not welcome in either one of those two avenues. So go further. Let's get deeper into the text because I think we're going to get helped here as we bring some other scriptures also. The necessity of accepting others. It is essential for the unity of the flock. I'm talking big picture, the body of Christ, smaller picture, every local assembly. Look what Paul said in verse 6, that together you may with one voice. And he's going to talk about in our unity, in our pursuit, in our welcoming relationships, in our receiving of each other as Christ receives us, there is this call that we will do life together, that we will do ministry together that we will uh, koinonia, we will have a partnership in both life and mission, that we will do it not demanding uniformity, but demanding and expecting and committing to unity. You know the difference between uniformity and unity, right? Uniformity demands that everybody talk the same, act the same, look the same, smell the same, and it's, it's different from harmony. It's everybody singing the same note, the same part all the time. That's uniformity. But what we're talking about is unity, which allows for diversity. By the way, isn't it good that God allows for diversity since he made us completely different from each other? Uh, I I, I wrote a little blurb online this morning just using my my marriage as an example. You will never find two people, well, I don't think so, two, a husband and wife more different than myself and Amy. And we're just completely different. We laugh now. I think maybe at the very beginning of our marriage it was a concern for people. Well, they were concerned for her. He said, Jeff, how do you know that? Because she got lots of warnings, don't marry that guy. Do not marry that guy. You you can't marry that guy. My father-in-law, Danny, if you're watching or or listening, my father-in-law on the day of the wedding said, we can turn around right now. He's getting ready to walk her up the aisle. He said, we can turn around and walk out here right now. He told her he'd buy her a new car. So uh, now he loves me now. He loves me now, but I mean, seriously, because we were so different, people thought that, you know, she was going to be, you know, crushed under me. But I am like super husband now because... I haven't competed with her. I've recognized she's different, and that's a good thing. She doesn't need to be like me to be valid. She's learned that I don't have to be like her to be valid. Uh, The way I say it is this, is is that if we were children's art, she would be watercolors, and I would be connect the dots. Amen? 
That's the way we work. I am linear and thinking like that, and we're that way relationally. We, 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 we disagree on just about everything, but I can tell you this, and this is not boasting. This is just the God's grace. We never fight. Now, we've had some tension before because we're human, but we never, ever fight. Every time I say that in a sermon, somebody gets me after me and says, man, you got to quit lying in the pulpit. I'm telling you, we don't fight. And here's the thing, we don't have to fight in our churches. We don't have to be that way. We've got it in the mindset that if we're going to be different than somebody, that there's automatically some kind of opposition. It doesn't have to be opposition. It can be harmony if we will be big boys and big girls. And so Paul says it's essential to the unity of the flock. There's got to be one consistent voice going up to the Lord. There's got to be one consistent voice being projected on behalf of the Lord to the communities in which we live. There's needs that we need to be saying the same things. And that doesn't mean that we like all the same things, but it means in the core issues of the common faith that was once and for all delivered to us, we have to be in line. But not everything in the church is a core issue. And that was what the problem in Rome was. They were making everything a core issue. And so Paul was saying, no, y'all need to learn how to sing through life together in a harmonious tone. It's also essential for the glory of the Father. Notice this, that Paul, as we're going to find out others did, connected our unity to the glorifying of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He said that together you may glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate aim of God in every generation is God-centered. You need to hear me on this. Because we live in a very man-centered culture and a very man-centered era in the church to where everything is about man. That's why a lot of people, they they come to church, they pray a prayer, ask Jesus in their heart. They feel like they got their ticket punched to heaven, they've got what they need, and they just go and live their life. My friends, I'm, I'm so grateful that you are saved by grace through faith that when you repent of your sins and you call on the name of Jesus, he will expunge your guilt before him and he will indeed take up residence in your body and you will be saved. But I'm going to tell you, that's not the end of the purpose of God. God's purpose for our life is not simply to take us to heaven when we die, but that he might be glorified through our lives right here on earth. And so the, the theme of the ages is not the salvation of man. It is the glory of God. And if it's the glory of God at the back end of the age, it needs to be our theme now. And so in order to glorify God, we have to do it together. We're so fiercely independent and individualistic. I'm glad that God has made me the way he's made me. I like the way God has made me. It works in certain areas really well. In other areas, it's very humbling. But I'm glad I'm me. You know why? Because if I was you, one of us would be unnecessary. So I don't want you to be me and I don't want to be you. I want you to be you, but I want us to be ourselves together in intentionality for the glory of God. That means I need to understand and value you as God values you. And we need to be accountable to each other. And we need to work together as a body of believers right here to recognize that God has intentionally placed distinct and diverse people in this community of faith, not so we can, you know, go to war with each other, but that we can learn how to love each other and work with each other. Why? To reveal to everybody that there's no such thing as the prototypical Christian that everybody has to be like. God is greatly glorified in our diversity. I was uh, giving... The TV station has taken an interest in what God's doing here at Newbridge, and Dustin and I were blessed to go down and do an interview a couple of weeks ago to tell a little bit of the story, and then I went back last week and and preached, and I got some good feedback from this, but I panicked as soon as I said it, but it's one of those things where you're on live TV and you don't know how people are going to take it, but I I made the statement, I'm going to say it again, I'm glad I don't go to an all-white church, I'm just glad. 
I love you white folks. I happen to be among your lot, but, but I'm, I'm glad I don't go to an all-white church. I'll be honest with you. I'm glad that, that if you're of a different race that you don't go to an all-black or Latino or Asian church. And the reason why is very simple. Our, our culture, our community right here is not all-white, is not all-black, is not all-Asian or all-Latino. That, that we are a slice of our community. And I think as God blesses us, we should be wide open to saying any race, any nationality, any age, both male and female, come and partake of what God is doing. Why? Because his glory is reflected in how we take our diversity and intentionalize it towards unity. So much easier for people just to say, well, that's a whole lot of work. We got ethnic things, we got cultural things, we got generational things. So why don't we just make the white church over here, the black church over here, the young church over here, the old church over here, the Latino church here. And, and that's where, of course, all sorts of denominationalism comes in. And look, I, I'm probably kicking a dead dog here. I, I don't guess that's politically correct, but I'm, I'm probably overstressing a point here. But the, the point I'm trying to make is this. It's an awesome opportunity when you're in a place as diverse as we are to say, oh, we're not going to try to find one slice and make everybody accommodate to that slice, but we're going to recognize there's validity across the board in this thing, and we're going to learn from each other, we're going to love each other, we're going to walk with each other, and it is from that reflection of what takes place that people in our community, maybe even people around the world, will say, what is God doing among those people that is making such a difference in the kingdom. So it is a necessity. It's not an option. Your leadership here is just doggedly committed to it. Um, and we will embrace it, okay? So let's go further into this. Remember, this is, a, this is a series about being unified, and what we're trying to do is give you different areas where we will be unified, and the first is just designing and designating this place as a place of warmth and welcome. And so here's the requirement of accepting others. Lest we think that this is a fringe teaching and I'm just trying to prop it up, let's just see what some other writers say. I will continue with Paul. In verse number 7, Paul says here, Therefore... Now, here's the application. In light of the fact that we're different, but we're called to love each other and live with each other in common, harmonious faith, he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, just stop there. This is why I said this is not hard to understand. It may be hard to do, but it is not hard to understand. This is, I love it when my Bible tells me what to do. I love that. Because man, I, you can teach a dog to sit. And, and, and I, I can, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, the swiftest gazelle in the flock, but I can, when God tells me to do something and I can register it, I can do it. I love to obey, and especially obeying a clear command like we have here. And here's the command. In light of the fact that you are called and empowered of God to work together in harmony, he says, therefore, here's the instruction, welcome one another. And that's not just the five minutes that we get shaking hands and hugging necks on Sunday morning. It, it is a posture and an attitude about our life. That means be open to each other, receive each other, pursue each other, value each other. It means to recognize the value, the worth of one another because we are in Christ Jesus. And I love the way that I am told to welcome others with my life. I am told to do it as Christ has welcomed me. I mean, I have got, and listen, just think through the, the scriptures with me here. How has he welcomed you? Did you choose him or did he choose you? Well, I'm going to tell you this, you chose him because he chose you. Did, 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 did you ever run from him? We said, Jeff, I was saved as a, as a young child. I didn't really run from him. Well, you would have. You would have. 
If he had not pursued you, I promise you, because of the depravity of man, you would have found yourself hell-bent, literally, on running in your own direction. That doesn't mean you would be an axe murderer or anything necessarily, but you never would have come to him. You never would have called on to him. You never would have pursued him, but he pursued you. He welcomed you. Now, let's get beyond our salvation and recognize this. Has he ever come after you when, he fa- when, he, when you uh, failed him? Has he ever just poured out grace and mercy? Oh, yeah, he'll convict you. He'll bring you to a place of repentance. But doesn't he put balm in those wounds? Doesn't he put ointment on those fevered parts of your life? Doesn't he come to you in pursuit and welcome? I I remember when I first got saved because I was so afraid of going back to my old lifestyle that he delivered me from. I, I remember when I failed God, a thought, a word, a deed, I remember I felt like I just had to really ratchet it up for the next couple of days and then present myself back to the Lord as a shining specimen of I'm going to do better. And, and it was such a miserable way because it, it, was, it was denying grace. It was wasting days in between sin and and restoration. I assumed that, okay, if if I did this degree of sin, then there needed to be this degree of uptick in my commitment. And what I didn't realize is, man, he was pursuing me when I was choosing to say something, think something, or do something against him. When the moment I did it, he didn't just take his hands off and said, I'm done with you. He pursued me under the place of repentance, and then he pursues us under the place of joyful restoration. So he's constantly welcoming us. Now, the instruction is that I'm going to interact with you the same way he interacts with me. So it begs the question, how do I do when you fail me? Yeah, we were having fun there for a minute, weren't we? So we have room to grow, right? And so it's not going to happen on its own apart from us saying, I can't hold grudges. I can't be bitter. I can't just let them walk. I can't just, you know reject them and ignore them. I just can't do that because that's not how Jesus welcomes me. Now, in a few moments, I'm going to make application to those that are outside of the body of Christ because I think this is equally as important there. But for right now, I'm talking about us among us. By the way, just quickly, here's another verse from Paul in Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Paul said this, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I, I quote that verse regularly. And the reason why is because even by the way it's worded, it says you really need to work at this. And to endeavor is to continue in something, to be intentionally uh, uh, put yourself to something. So he says you need to forbear. That's a word that just means, I mean, you really just have to put up with some stuff about people. Let yourself off the hook. You're not required as a disciple of Jesus to approve of everything that somebody does. You're not. You're not, you're not going to be pleased by something, uh, everything that somebody does. We've confused approval and acceptance. In our culture today, there are certain elements of society that say, you have to approve us. And I would say, no, based on my theology, I don't have to approve you nor what you do, but I will accept you because that's how I've been accepted by the Lord. doesn't mean I endorse everything about somebody's life, but I do have to welcome them. And we're told to continually, uh, continually pursue unity. And it's a hard work because we are sinners rubbing shoulders with sinners. And we grate on each other sometimes. And the one thing I know for sure, I don't know all of the logistics and the details, but I know one thing for sure. If I'm going to welcome people like Jesus welcomes me, I'm going to be staying relentlessly open to restoration. And where I can, I'm going to pursue it. That's what it means to welcome one another. 
Well, what did James say? James was a little bit of a hard nose. If you ever read the book of James, you can, brother's got an edge to him. I mean, he's a, he's a godly man, but he is no nonsense. So in James 2, 1, this is what he's saying. He's saying to the Christians, he says, brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, who is Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. So James is saying this, you can't play favorites with people, you know, because you have a certain type of people that you're more comfortable around. You've got a certain type of person that you gel more easily with. We tend to find our, our tribe. We, we, it's like inmates. And I, I did prison ministry for years. When you, when you go into a prison, you'll recognize within 15 minutes of observing that, okay, they have gravitated towards external likeness. And so that's why you have gangs, you have different races separated in, in prisons, but we're not prisoners. We're free men. We're free women. We're set free by the blood of Jesus. We're called into our oneness. And so when we see here, James says, don't show partiality. It's a word that indicates prejudice. It's a word that indicates favoritism. It means this, just treat everybody the same way that you would treat anybody. By the way, the assumption is that you'll treat them with love and grace and kindness. And so it removes the ability for us to have cliques. We just don't have a biblical framework for that. I mean, look at Paul, the Jew among Jews prior to his conversion. Where did God send him? To what people? The non-Jews, the Gentiles. So Paul, who was the pristine Hebrew of his day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, was saved. And God said, okay, I'm not going to let you hang out with the Hebrews all the time. I want you to go to the Gentiles. And so God reserves the right to stretch us so far out of our comfort zone. And James says this, yeah, you can't show partiality. So, hey, let me just bring it home now. Let's, get it, let's flesh this out for a moment. There's gonna, I'm praying for people to, to, to be received into this fellowship, for us to go out and find them, for some of them will be made aware of what God's doing at Newbridge. Some of them will be unbelievers and they will be coming in. And I am praying that there will never be a certain type of person that comes here. Now, now I'm not saying I don't want this particular type to come. I'm saying I just hope we can never get typified. I hope that we can never get pigeonholed. I hope that that when people come, that they will find unity with us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our adoration and worship of him, our love for each other, our esteem for the word of God and its truth. And so that is what I want us to be unified in. But I don't want us to all look the same or act the same. We don't have to enjoy the same music. You don't have to vote the way I vote. Although if you don't, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Just just kidding here. But what I'm saying is this, is is that all of these externals cannot define us. Why? Because that's what religion is. Religion works from the outside, presuming to get to the inside, but it never does. Religion never changes the heart. Jesus changes the heart, and then he works according to his lordship on the externals, and the externals are up to him. We can help each other. We can guide each other. We can give counsel to each other, but we cannot master one another. You see, we have a master, and his servants stand or fall before him, and he is able to make them stand. So James says, don't show partiality. What does Peter say? 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now watch this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So the best posture I can relate to you in is a posture of humility. Paul would say in another place that we are to esteem the other person more significant than ourselves. We're not to look to our own things. In essence, Paul says, stop living selfishly. In humility, he's saying here along with Peter, Peter is saying with Paul, in humility, just wrap yourself in it. 
Wrap yourself in humility. Let that clothe you. Let that be what keeps you together and brings your warmth, and that warmth will radiate through you. What does John say? John is a little more intense. John says, hey, it's time to give yourself a checkup from the neck up. We're going to look at your, your, your heart here. John actually attaches the validity of our profession of faith with the degree to which we love others. 1 John 3.14. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now that is intense. John has already given in the, in the first epistle, he's given a theological test. He's given uh, uh, the moral test. But here he gives the love test and he doesn't pull any punches. He says the, the book of 1 John is really a diagnostic to see if we're, our, our, our profession of faith is genuine. And John says, yeah, you can sing all the hymns. I'm amplifying what he says here. He says, you, you can quote all the scripture. You can sing all the hymns. You can discipline yourself. You can be moral. You can be righteous. But I'm going to bust you. I'm going to expose you. I'm pulling back the curtain. Because if you don't love other Christians, you don't have the love of God. That's what he says. And friends, think about that in a day where there's just a lot of bitterness between professing believers. We're, we're literally warned here that if we say all the right things, but we don't love the church, we don't love other believers, he's saying, yeah, God's love hasn't gotten inside of you yet. That's a pretty powerful diagnostic. Now, I'm going to tell you, we all express love in different ways. Some of you are just love gushers. Y'all are just, y'all ooze love, and that's fine. There's nothing, uh, to, that's great, as a matter of fact. Some of us are, are, are not that fluid with our, with our expressions of love, but I, I believe agape love is, in essence, it is seeking the highest good of the other person. So, you know, I, I don't go out handing out daisies and tulips and all of that kind of stuff, but, um, you know, love can be expressed in a diversity of ways. The point is this, is if we are always more important than the other guy, then we haven't been changed by God's love. And as a church that has been transformed and as people that have been transformed by God's love, we're going to love people. And when people walk through the front doors of this church and we, we're not there to judge them or evaluate them, what we're there to do is love and serve them. And in that process of loving and serving them, we hope to discern whether or not there are spiritual needs there. We all have spiritual needs, but especially for those that are not yet redeemed. We're, we're not gonna try to pretty up the outside and then work on the inside. Absolutely not. We're going to say, you come as you are. You come as you are. You walk in. You can sit. You can pray. You can stand. You can sing. You can do whatever you want to do. And our, our commitment to you is to try in love and wisdom to discern why has God sent you here? How can we facilitate the answer to your needs to welcome you into the body of Christ? And then how can we equip you to go out and meet others' needs? So to, to avoid the idea that we just want you to come in and, you know, it's a consumeristic mindset. How can we serve you? How can we serve you? No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is this. On the initial welcoming season, we are here for them. In our relationships with others, we are committed not to look at people through the lens of what they can do for us, but we say to ourselves, how can we bless them? How can we help them? How can we serve them? And we trust God to foster a mutual desire in their heart. Because the greatest thing that can happen in relationships is when I am fixated on meeting your needs as the Lord leads and you are fixated on meeting my needs. Because if I'm fixating on meeting my needs, I'm going to love me at some point and reject you. But if I'm fixated on you and you're fixated on me, we are meeting each other's needs. None of us runs the risk of being selfish. And so that is how God is glorified. 
But when we come in and we say, wait a minute, I don't feel like I'm getting my needs met. Matter of fact, my needs are so strong, they might sound like demands, but I'm just going to call them needs. And so here's what I want, and the clock is ticking. Let's see if you can meet my needs. That's not love. That's a self-love, but it's not a relational love. It's not an agape love, and it's not welcoming. And so, friends, as we think about this, these are big, broad strokes, but we've got to figure out how to flesh these things out. So what did Jesus say? Maybe that's most important of all. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Say that with me, love one another. Come on. Jesus says, I'm going to command you to love one another. And I want you to do it just as I have loved you. And you are also to love one another in this way. And watch this. This is an astounding verse. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. I think that's the most overlooked statement in all of Jesus' ministry. And the reason why I say it's overlooked, because think of the things we use to measure discipleship. How long did you pray? How many times did you attend church this month? How much are you giving? How many tracts did you pass out? Did you witness? Did you read the Bible through in a year? Are you in a small group? Are you in an ecclesia group? Are you serving? And we measure discipleship by how many classes we've taken, how many conferences we've gone to, how many times we've read. And and listen, all of those things are good. Those are valid things. I'd encourage you in all of those things. But Jesus said, yeah, to the onlooking world, they're not interested in all of that. What they want to know is, do you know how to love like Jesus loves? And quite frankly, most of us need to grow in that area. Brothers and sisters, what, what would it look like if a church made as the foremost pursuit of their public testimony, that means our testimony from here out into our community and out in the world, what if our foremost commitment was we will love people as Jesus has loved us and as Jesus loves them, we are going to figure out how to do that on a day-by-day, week-by-week, year-by-year basis. That is our foremost commitment. What do you think would happen in evangelistic uh, opportunities? What do you think would happen with the amount of people that would come and be a part of what God is doing? What do you think would happen in your life and my life taking on a new dynamic, not of flatlining, but of, of sparking and peaking for the glory of God? The key is that when we begin to love each other and not some theoretical love. I mean, if you got to start with just saying, okay, he preached for an hour on loving people. I got it. I'm going to start loving. Hey, look, that's better to begin there than not to begin at all. And so you start doing it. And then as a community of faith, we start doing it. Why do we have in the bottom corner of the parking lot right now a big trailer that's saying, bring bags of clothes, stuff them full of your clothes. By the way, do it. Bring bags of clothes. We're partnering with Victory 91.5. All of those bags of clothes, a bag of clothes feeds 55 people. Now, don't ask me how they they make that work, but they probably take the clothes, they sell it, and we're going to feed the hungry in Kenya through this. We're going to be taking it up all month. Let's fill that thing not only with clothes, but when we fill it with clothes, we're filling it with love. It's the practical import Maybe y'all aren't getting with me this morning. I, I don't know. Say, so Jeff, more theology, more theology. Theology will come, but this is the theology of loving people. This is practical. Theology without love is nothing but dead orthodoxy. And brothers and sisters, Jesus said it is when y'all love each other, Christians, that the world will know that you belong to me. Man, that is a premium he places on us welcoming each other, loving each other. It's not a side dish. This is a big main entree. And Jesus says, 
you disciples of mine love each other. Say, okay, well, I'll love those that are just like me. Well, that was addressed in a different place. He said, even the pagans do that. And that, I mean, sometimes the Lord just doesn't let you squirm where you want to squirm. And he cuts you off from those places that he knows will run and hide. No, love the person that is completely different than you and love them with all you got. And watch Jesus smile on it. And watch him bless and watch him be glorified. So the last point, we're going to finish up at the end of verse number seven. The attitude in accepting others. And this is going to be tough. This is going to be tough because actions are easy to tweak. Attitudes, man, that's some, that's some, that requires a, a deep and sharp spade in the hand of the Lord. And it's tough work, but we can't avoid it. Who do I accept among others? Remember when that question was asked, well, Lord, who is my neighbor? Well, just watch this. And again, Romans 14, where Paul is talking about all the things that could potentially divide us, he says this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Don't miss verse 18. Paul makes a huge statement that the kingdom of God is not in the externals. Now, hear me, I think, I think we know this. If, if you've been around this assembly for a while, you know that we, we understand this, we try to live this, we teach this, but it's not in the externals. People say, Jeff, you know, I invite somebody to church, Jeff, what should I wear? I'm just like, just come clothed, amen. I, I don't care. I, I really don't. I don't care. I don't care if you wear jeans. I don't care if you wear flip-flops. I know some of you do care about that, and that's okay. We can disagree on that, and that's what Paul's point is. It's not on the externals. For them, it was meat and drink. They were worried about the wine and the ham. I mean, they were really struggling over that stuff in Rome. And Paul is trying to tell them, hey, that's really not what the kingdom's about. Isn't that amazing that our human nature will reduce the glory of God, the sacrifice Christ paid to initiate and to uh, eventually to uh, uh, culminate the, the, the kingdom that belongs to him, and we boil it down to what, what kind of church do you go to? Are you Baptist? Are you Methodist? Are you Pentecostal? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Episcopalian? Are you Lutheran? Well, just what kind of church is that? Because, to, and what we're saying is, is that I'm really not open to the kingdom of God being expressed in anything different than whatever denomination. The kingdom of God is not about what, what type of music we, we worship to. The kingdom of God is not about the Bible translation we use. The kingdom of God is not about what hour of what day we meet. The kingdom of God is not about that. Paul says, here's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about righteousness, both the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of Christ in us. It's about peace, and he's talking about relational peace there. He's talking about joy in the Holy Spirit, which Pastor Dustin opened the service talking about. So righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then verse 18 is astounding. Verse 18 says, whoever serves God in these things is acceptable to God. Whoever serves God in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, just I'm a Bible believer, forgive me, is acceptable to God. Now, that's in the context of having been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But then, relationally, it says those people are accepted by God and there, and then Paul says, and approved by man. In other words, you don't have to scrutinize people that are different than you. You, you don't have to look at the externals. That we are called into this unity based on the internal transforming presence and power of the Holy Spirit, our position in Christ, and the other stuff has reduced impact. It should have reduced impact on how we interrelate with each other. 
And so you're going to come here and hallelujah because it's going to be like heaven. You're going to have people that look differently, dress differently, worship differently. It's okay because they love Jesus. Some of them, some of you, y'all are just all, y'all are just, you're an octopus in worship. You're everywhere, man. You're just, woo, you know, and that's great. I don't have a problem with that. You know, my fellow octopi, I love you. But the other people are just going to be quiet and stayed. And don't you dare get judgmental with them. Don't you dare get judgmental with them. That's just the way they worship. You say, well, I don't think they're worshiping. Well, you're not worshiping either if you're inspecting them. Come on, I needed an amen. So to just, and I understand how it goes. This was not in the notes, but I just, let me pass through the church here for a minute. I understand because some people say, well, Jeff, I am one of those quiet worshipers. And I just, you know, and all of this stuff is distracting to me. Close your eyes. Just close your eyes. It's okay. It's okay. Some of us do both. Some of us do this and close our eyes, and that's okay. All I'm trying to say is this. Listen, it's not a style. It's not an external. It's not a mode. And you have elders and leaders here that if anything ever gets out of the banks and serves a distraction, then we know how to handle that, and we promise you that we will. But in the meantime, let's give expression. And for those that want to express it loudly and joyfully, you, you can do so. Be aware of those that are around you. For those of you who want to be quiet, don't be intimidated by the octopus people. It's fine. It's okay. Why? Because all that stuff's external. And this is what the Lord says. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Peace and joy. I love that. Peace for those that want to worship in peace and quiet. Joy for those that want to just cut loose. And Paul says, God accepts them both. I think that should encourage us here today. And he says this in verse 19. Pursue for what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. He's talking about it in the context of our relationships. So in other words, hey. Be aware that you are connected to other people. And so as you are worshiping, living, working, relating, being in marriage, raising kids, and taking care of elderly parents, all of that stuff, just recognize that your life touches them. So be aware. Be aware that your actions are either going to breed peace or they're going to impede peace. And so I want to breed peace. I don't want to impede peace. And so the the Bible tells that part of my love for other people is to recognize that I want to welcome them and my life touches them. Then two more things and I'm going to be done. When should I accept others? And this 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 is a kick right here, guys. This is hard. This is your Bible. This is some tough teaching from the Son of God, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, just hold on here for a minute. This is how I know that Jesus didn't treat this issue of our relationships with each other as some, you know, kind of take it or leave it thing. It's really important to Jesus. So important that he says to a Hebrew audience, yeah, when you're going up to the temple and it's time to bring your sacrifice and as you are contemplating your life and the glory of God, you're preparing to offer your, your gift, um, if, if you are impacted in your mind that you're out of fellowship with your brother, some friction has taken place. You're, you're in, a, you're in a, a relationship that's disjointed. Jesus, I mean, this is tough. He says, hey, for the moment, don't worry about worship. Go and make the relationship right. Wow. Now, I'm going to give you this statement. It was so important to me that I say it right that I wrote it down, and I think they're going to throw it up on the screen. To me, this is astounding. Jesus commands us in times of relational disunity 
to place our priority on relational reconciliation with each other more so than our private worship of God in those moments. Just leave that up there for a moment if you would. In times of relational disunity, Jesus commands us to place a priority on racial recon- excuse me, relational reconciliation with each other more so than our private of worship of God. I don't know that there's any other place in the Scripture where we're told stop worshiping. And it's in the context of, hey, there's something not acceptable about your worship of me when I know you're not even acting in love towards your brother. I think John says it in a different way. How, how can we love God whom we have not seen when we do not love our brother whom we have seen? So, friends, I know that's kind of like a, I know it's hard. But don't you want your heart free? Say, well, Jeff, this person that I'm in disunity with, they don't want to have anything to do with me. There's nothing I can do. Hey, listen, sometimes that's a reality. Just make sure that hasn't become an excuse for you in just kind of ignoring the situation. So, well, what do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Reach out to them again. Reach out to them. Let them know you're still open. You say, Jeff, it's been a decade. It's time then. Say, I don't know, this person really wounded me. Well, I'm not going to tell you to place yourself in physical danger if it's a person that was abusive, but you can write a letter if you need to. What I'm saying is this. There's some aspect where God says your welcoming and receiving of each other is not completely disconnected from your worship of me. I'll make a statement. Unfortunately, I don't have time to unpack it, but I, I just want to give you this. If you're sensing a dearth of spirit, a dryness, a lack of clarity, a lack of power, a lack of that joy and that peace and that righteousness. I'm just going to encourage you to answer the question, are you offended with a brother or sister? Have you offended a brother or sister? And is it in a limbo that God is now leading you to address? And if he is, I'm just going to encourage you, you need to get it addressed and do it before you presume to offer him acceptable worship. That means do it with an urgency because we don't want anything to get in the way of our worship. And then the last thing, why must I accept? It's very easy. It is the end of verse 7 in Romans. We welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God and as Christ has also received us to the glory of God. The, the, The crux of the matter is this. It's not even that we should, it's that we must. It's that we must. And so should expresses the pursuit of an ideal. Must reveals the obedience to a command. And so if Jesus commands me, and my goodness, I never thought in my life I would have so much opportunity to put this commandment into practice. I've experienced more relational strife Uh, in ministry in the past five years, really seven or eight years than I ever, I, I didn't sign up for that stuff. And I've done everything that people do. I've ignored it. I've fought back in the flesh at times. I, I've tried to pretend that it's not there. At other times, I've pursued and been rejected. But the sweet moments are when I've pursued it in humility and God has also prepared the other person's heart and there's that glorious restoration. And that's what we're going for. You say, well, Jeff, it takes two. You're right, and you're one of the two. And so you have to do your part. And when you do, I'm going to tell you something, no matter what the response of the other person, 
Jesus is all-knowing and all-seeing. And when he sees you in humility and risk and obedience, say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what it takes. Lord, help me. Lord, guide me. No matter whether they respond or not, his blessing is going to fall on you. And you will experience everything that the locust devoured. You will be restored because as much as it depends on you, you have sought to be at peace with all people. We're